church family, as we continue to worship, I'm going to encourage you, as I will in the coming months ahead, to open with me to the book of Exodus, Exodus chapter 20 this morning, and in the following mornings as we continue in a series that we began last week on the Sermon on the Mount. We looked at Exodus chapter 19 and got our bearings, and now we move into Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17. Many of you are familiar with my family. I have three boys. The two oldest boys, Hayden and Luke, are 19 months uh, apart in age, which means for many, many years, as they were young, playing with one another, it had to be the most reoccurring phrase that we would say is, boys, share. Boys, share. Boys, play with one another. Boys, share with one another. Uh, it was something we wanted to instill in our children because you understand what it is uh, in your own heart to have a, a proneness to selfishness. I mean, we, we all are prone to, to hold things to ourselves. And so it is a, a goal of our parenting was to, to teach them to be able to, to share with one another. Now, as important as it was for us to teach our boys to, to share with one another, especially our two oldest ones and certainly our, our youngest two, uh, there are just some things that you have to sort of reverse course on as a parent and say, yeah, it is important to share, but there's some things that are so personal that it isn't appropriate to share. And so we have to teach our children to cover their nose when they sneeze and to cover their mouth when they're called. Uh, they, th- th- those germs are personal enough that, that we don't want to, to share those with others. Uh, we, we don't want to share confidif- confidential information, information that was entrusted to us. I mean, that's, that's so personal that we, we don't go around sharing that with one another. If you're an aunt or if you're an uncle and you took your two-year-old or three-year-old nephew or niece out for their birthday and you got ice cream, I'm sure that there's been a time where they've, took, uh, they've taken a big lick out of the ice cream cone and then they hand it to you and they say, hey, here, you have some. And what do you say in that moment? Well, that, that's yours. I, we, we're not going to share that. If you're taking the ACT and you've got your friend behind you or beside you, uh, th- those answers, it's not a, they're, they're deep repercussions for, for sharing those answers. And, and we can ratchet this up. The, the more important the commitments, the, the more important it is not to share. There are husbands and wives that make vows to one another, and these vows are sacred vows. They're personal vows, and we understand to, to break those vows is, is not what God intends. We, we don't share that deep marital love with anyone else other than our spouse. And we could go on and on with examples. And this is true not only in your life, but it's true also in God himself. Now, now God is abundant in his generosity. And there is much that God shares with all of us that are here. Aren't aren't we grateful that God shares his mercy with us? Aren't we grateful that God, he uh, he bountifully shares his grace with us? He, He bountifully shares his kindness and his love with us. But there are some things that God doesn't share. There there are some things that are are so close to God that he will not share with anyone else in our life or anything else in our life. He will not share his glory with anyone or anything else. He has no desire to share the center of your heart with anyone or anything else. He has no desire to share first place in your obedience and your affection and your adoration with anyone or anything else. 
there's some things that are so important that even God says, I, I will not share. I am a jealous God. And as we walk through the Ten Commandments, we have a God who reminds us that he will not share some things in my life and your life with anyone or anything else. Uh, read with me in Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, which introduces us to the first commandment. I want to read all ten commandments, just so we can have an orientation. This morning, we're going we're to do two things. We're going to look at the first commandment. Before we look at the first commandment, we're going to get a big picture of all ten commandments. Then we're going to dive into the first. So let's hear the entirety of Exodus chapter 20, verses 1 through 17, what we know to be the, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven or, ab or heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, verse 12, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Uh, three truths as we look at uh, the Ten Commandments from about 30,000 feet, and as we land in the first commandment and our, our time remaining to be able to be reminded of what God does not share with anyone or anything else in our life. Let's start from a big picture here. Notice with me the authority of the Ten Commandments for your life. Notice again in verse 1, and God spoke all these words. Throughout church history, you'll hear the Ten Commandments, also called the Ten Words. The words of God given to us here in the commandments of God, or an authority that we heed from the author of these words here. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, we have an even, even greater description as Moses is thinking back on this moment where he received the Ten Commandments. And he gives us this vivid description. These words, the Lord spoke to all your assemblies, speaking to the Israelites, at the mountain, out of the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick darkness with a loud voice. And he added no more. He spoke all these words. He added no more. And he wrote them on two tablets of stone. And he gave them to me. Now I want you just to be reminded of this. And I know you know this. But it's helpful as we start this introduction here that a, a committee of leading Israelites were not gathered together by God and by Moses to workshop the Ten Commandments. 
God, God didn't say, hey Moses, I, I want you to get Aaron and Jethro, I want you to get Miriam, and we're going to get a whiteboard. And I've got, I've got 20 potential commandments that we need to whittle down to 10, and I need your help. This is not a committee job here. This is not a choose-your-own-adventure of the Ten Commandments. These Ten Commandments are perfectly from God and perfectly sufficient for us. These Ten Commandments are perfectly from God and they're perfectly sufficient for you and me. Not 11, not 9. Not 8, not 12. Ten Commandments here. Martin Luther, the fountainhead of the Protestant Reformation, has a whole catechism that is uh, built upon an exposition of the Ten Commandments. And over the next ten weeks, you're going you're to hear a lot about Martin Luther, his, his exposition of this, because it's so clear and it's so helpful. But he talks about the authority of the Ten Commandments by saying, this much is certain. Those who know the Ten Commandments perfectly know the entire Scripture. And in all affairs and circumstances are able to counsel, help, comfort, judge, and make decisions in both spiritual and temporal matters. I mean, notice the the authority of the Ten Commandments given to us by God, but notice the authority for for your life and my life. We are bound by these words to follow these words here because of the authority of the one who has given them to us. Now, Luther is not saying, cut out Exodus 20, verses 1 through 17, and that's all you need to be sufficient for Scripture. We need the rest of the Bible. We need the whole counsel of God. But notice that Luther is saying there is something about these ten that if you follow with you as a follower of Jesus, they will not lead you astray. You will live a life that honors God. You will live a life that glorifies God. Now, is there much more to say in Scripture? Well, of course. But what God is giving us here is is mile markers. He's given us us a map to, to follow with the morality of our life and how we live as followers of him that have been set free. Now notice that the direction of these Ten Commandments have given a lot of consternation to those that have received them. Eight of the ten are shall nots. And I think we, we probably think of the Ten Commandments as you'll hear it sort of pejoratively described as a bunch of rules. And, and that, that really that bristles many of the recipients of it. They, they bristle at this idea of the authoritarian nature of the Ten Commandments. And you'll hear people say, I'm not interested in, in a bunch of rules. I'm, I'm interested just in a, a deep abiding relationship here. And there's no doubt eight of the ten are shall nots. We have two exceptions that are in the positive, remember the Sabbath. But implicit in remember the Sabbath is, is don't break the Sabbath. So he might as well say, you shall not break the Sabbath. Also in there is the positive, honor your father and mother. But again, implicit in that is, do not, you shall not dishonor your father and mother. So there is no denying that we've got to do business with the clarity that God has given to us in this day and in this time. This is a hang-up for a lot of people. I think outside of the church, but definitely inside of the church also. I hear this, this bristling, who, who are you to tell me what to do? And again, well, you've got to answer the question, what authority are you living by? Who gets the first word and who gets the last word in your life as a follower of Jesus? To live and to thrive in life, you need authority. 
this might be one of the most countercultural things I can say in 2022. Authority is good. You need authority. And especially when we're talking about the authority of a loving, holy God, we don't bristle against that as followers of him. We receive that. One of the most loving things that a father or a mother can do is to set boundaries for their children. I mean, that child needs authority. It is not helpful for the child. Not, the, most loving, uh, the most unloving thing that they can have is not to have someone that is saying, no, don't, don't go that. This last week I was driving to Huntsville. I was with some of our staff members, and we were meeting with some churches there, and it was exciting conversations. And on the way, I was talking to my mom, and she reminded me, I have no recollection of this, but uh, from uh, one, two, three, those early years of my life, we, we lived in Huntsville. And she was telling me, she was like, she, you know, how a mom is sort of asking, sort of inquiring, how much do you remember any of that? And I have, I have no recollection of that, but she was, she was telling me of the house that we lived in there in Huntsville and the, the, the backyard that we had. And she was, she was reminding me or really telling me, I guess, of a, she went to Sears and bought this, this play set and had a slide and you could swing on it. And we had all these neighbors around us, but it was a busy street. And so my mom would have to tell me, oftentimes as a two-year-old and a three-year-old, she would have to say, hey, you got the whole backyard. You can slide. You can swing. You can play with the dog. You can run from that side of the fence to that side of the fence. But you can't go out here in the street. Now, when I was three years old, I'm sure I said to my mom, mom, I've got wings and i got to fly. <laughs> you're, you're cramping my style here. I'm sure, I'm sure I, I wanted to say, like every two- and three-year-old wants to do, is to say, there, there's something out there that I've got to go to. But the most loving thing that, that my mother and my father could do for me in that moment is to say, you got the whole backyard to yourself, but you can't go here into the street. And that's love. You need boundaries in life. And as a follower of Jesus, the authority of God is not a boundary in, in, in spite of your freedom, but it is a boundary to give you freedom, to show you love. When God comes to Adam and Eve in the garden, notice that he says uh, there's one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that you cannot eat from. But we don't know this, but the flip side of that is, is there's 10 other trees that you can eat from, 20 other trees that you can eat from, 30 other trees that you can eat from, 400 other trees that you can eat from, thousands of trees that you can eat from. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. But there's one that you can't eat from, but the rest of them in the garden, you're free to roam. You're free to play. You're free to live. You're free to love. These boundaries for Adam and Eve, these boundaries for the Israelites, these boundaries for you, they help us live life abundantly. They help us live life to the fullest. This is the authority of the Ten Commandments. Notice with me the purpose of the Ten Commandments. Notice the repetition of the theme. God spoke all of these words, and he's going to give a synopsis of what he said in, in, verse nine, uh, in chapter 19. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Chapter 19 was this exposition of what he has done for them. And again, God has a way of repeating what we need to hold on to here. Don't forget, he says. Don't forget that, that spiritually you are set free by me, your holy God. I, I've, I've brought you out of Egypt. So again, 
don't forget the order. I, I gave you a 30-minute sermon last week on this, and so I'm not going to re-preach this, but if you miss this, you, you misunderstand the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments were given as God has set the people of his choosing free. He's already set them free. He's already brought them out of slavery here. So the Ten Commandments are given not so that they would earn his mercy, not so that they would earn his grace, but the grace of God precedes the law of God. And again, the salvation that you receive in Christ isn't, if, if you take the Ten Commandments, and if you make a 90 out of 100 in the duration of your life, if you 90% of the time keep the Ten Commandments and the other 10%, then, then God will, will bestow his grace upon you. No, you're misunderstanding the Ten Commandments. God has given the Ten Commandments, God has given the law, God has given the admonitions to those who are set free. This is, uh, we can't go down this road too far, but when you're walking through the New Testament, you, you see the structure again and again. Uh, there, there are times where, where scholars will talk about the indicative and the imperative. One way to talk about that is, is that oftentimes in Paul's letters and other New Testament epistles, you'll have this foundation of what God has done for us. And then like in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, you got 11 chapters of what God has done. His mercy, his grace, his love, his kindness. And he says, therefore, in view of God's mercies, offer your body as a living sacrifice. In view of what God has done, now you are called to live out and work out your salvation. So the role of the Ten Commandments isn't so that you can become a follower of Jesus. The role of the Ten Commandments is, is you are a follower of Jesus and you want to live for him. And these structures, they lead to a flourishing life. I, I, I think, and many of you know this, I, I think that, that baseball is the greatest game ever invented. I don't know if you agree with that or you disagree with that. But one of the reasons baseball is, is a wonderful game is because of the rules of baseball. The Major League Baseball has 180 pages of rules. And for anyone who is an owner of a team, a manager of a team, a player... A fan, the joy of baseball isn't in spite of the rules. The joy of baseball is because of the boundaries. Could, could you imagine watching a baseball game where every foul ball that went into the upper deck was, was something that the catcher or the first baseman had to run up into the stands and get before the hitter got home? Could, could you imagine a, a game of baseball where there were no strikes and there were no balls? Could you imagine a game of baseball where you could just throw at the head of the batter again and again and again? Could you imagine the game of baseball where, where there wasn't an out and there wasn't someone that was safe? There would be no game. The boundaries actually give you the freedom to, to thrive on the field. The boundaries actually give you the structure in which to see the joy of the game. So these Ten Commandments and what we're going to discover with the, with the rest of the law that we're going to look at in the book of Exodus and found, or following that is that, that God gives us the rules. He gives us the structure to give us joy. It, it is miserable. I can tell you this. A miserable way to live is to do whatever you please to do. One surefire way to be miserable in life is to do whatever 
you want to do. It will lead not to freedom, but it will lead to bondage. You might think it's freeing. You might think it's freeing in the moment. You might think it's exhilarating. It very well probably is exhilarating. I'm here to remind you, it will bring you slavery. The joy of life is found within the boundaries that God has designed for your life. So I want you to see, as we look at the Ten Commandments here, we are having to see it from a, from a higher plane this morning, the authority of the Ten Commandments. We're looking at the purpose of the Ten Commandments. And finally, in our remaining time, which we don't have a whole lot, but we're going to jump into the foundation of the Ten Commandments for your life. One of the good things about this is, is this first commandment is really implicit in all the rest of the commandments. So while we don't have 30 minutes to unpack the first commandment, these eight words are the foundation in which the next non-commandments stand on our commandments stand on the shoulder of. Eight simple words. You shall have no other gods before me. It's a fundamental commandment. You know this, but I just remind you that the Israelites have had four centuries in Egypt. And one thing about Egypt is, is a word that you know, polytheism, uh, many gods. Egypt it was, was this polytheistic society that had, that had uh, literally hundreds of gods. And they were, connected to, they were connected to tangible things. So you have the god Ra, that was the, the god of the sun, Horus, the god of the sky, or, or Isis, the, the god who was married to the god of death. And so you could just go on and on. And God put on a show in the book of Exodus, one by one, to, to bring down these gods and to show Egypt and show the Israelites that there was only one true God. And the plagues, they, they weren't just there to set them free. They were there as a visual lesson to the Egyptians and to the Israelites. That I know you've been living for over four centuries in this land that says there are many gods, but I'm one by one knocking them off as I bring you out of your slavery here. And through the Passover, through the parting of the Red Sea, he gives a, he gives a Mike Tyson knockout blow is what he does to Pharaoh and to Egypt saying one thing, there's only one true God and that's me. Now the irony here that can be confusing is, is that God then in the first commandment says, you shall have no other gods before me. And we want to say, whoa, is that even an option? I mean, I, I, there's only one true God, so how can you have other gods before me? And this is what God knows about human nature. It's just like the Egyptians, you and I, we as humanity are prone to deify created things. We, we are prone in our flesh and in our heart to exalt the gifts of God above the giver. We are prone, just like the Egyptians, to, to exalt the created things above the creator. So he knows that just like the Egyptians had this temptation, and just like we'll see throughout the whole Old Testament as the Israelites have this temptation, guess what? You've got this temptation, and I've got this temptation. We're tempted probably not to bow down uh, to the sun god. I doubt many of you are going out at night, uh, although this happens, but I doubt many of you are, are bowing down to the, to the moon god or the god of fire or wind. But what are you tempted to give your love and loyalty to? Who and what 
gets your love and loyalty. There's one word for this, and that word is idolatry. Idolatry is not just fashioning wooden statues and bowing down before them. It's not just taking stones and rocks and fashioning them and bowing down before them. It's taking the gifts of God and worshiping them instead of the giver. And all of us in this room, you don't have to pray about this. You are guilty as charged. I am guilty as charged. We make idols out of created things. We give our love and loyalty to money. We give our love and loyalty to sex. We give our love and loyalty to power. We give our love and loyalty to popularity. We give our love and loyalty to family and to health and to you, yourself, and I. And we could go on and on and on and on. There are not many things that you will not intersect with that are sinful and also good gifts of God that we don't have the temptation because we're sinful beings to give our deepest love and our deepest trust to. Who or what are you giving your deepest love and your deepest loyalty to? Origen, third century, scholar, theologian, pastor, preacher. He would say this, really helpful. What each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this for him is God. I want you to just let that sink in. What each one honors before all else, what before all things he admires and loves, this is for him God. This is why it's not surprising that Jesus would want to counter this by saying in the Gospels that you shall love, Matthew 22 and other passages, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and the greatest of the commandments. What is Jesus doing here? He, he's, he's going to a very deep part of us. Understanding that this is, this, is, this is where the rubber hits the road for every one of us. I mean, this, this is the place of application of our heart here. What or who has your deepest trust, your deepest love, and your deepest loyalty? Let's, let's ask some more questions here. Who or what are you most passionate about? Let's ask some more questions. Who or what are you most committed to financially? Who or what are you most committed to with your time? Who or what are you most committed to with your thoughts here? Now, these are good things oftentimes, seemingly innocent things. There can be the fandom of a team that has our heart. It can be a weekend hobby that we can't live without. It can be a relationship that we feel as if there is no life without that relationship. It could be a career path. It could be ambitions. It can be personal health. It could be fitness. It can be ministry in the church. It can be being a pastor. Case in point. It can be the church. It can be your children's athletic success. It can be your children's academic success. Now, what we see is many of these things are not inherently wrong. They're not inherently sinful. But they're not designed to have our deepest love and our deepest loyalties. They, they can't bear the weight of what you're placing on them. And they will crash. Hear me carefully. God reveals our idols by them disappointing you and crashing. It might not be this week. It might not be next month. But he will get to our heart if you're a follower of him. 
I've got a chair. Everybody's got a chair like this, I think, at their house. And over the years, it's a kitchen, ta- uh, kitchen table chair, and we've leaned back in it. And over years, there's been one of the, the uh, chair legs that has cracked. And we like this chair set, and we've fixed this chair set. We've reset it many times, but, but this is the thing, is if you, if you sit in that chair in any such way, it'll, it'll re-crack again. And so people that we don't like, that we entertain at our house, we always let them sit there. <laughs> it's a joke. It's a joke. So. Um, but all of these things that you give your deepest loyalty and your deepest love to, it's just a matter of time before you realize when you lean back on them, they will crack. And you will fall. One day they will fail you. One day they will let you down and break your heart. And I'm here just to remind you, there, there is only one, one being, one person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who you can lean all of your heart on and all of your loyalty on, and you will never fall. So my question to you is, is what good gift or maybe sinful pursuit have you placed your full love and loyalty in? What good gift or sinful pursuit are you trusting in that will crack in a matter of time and will fail you? Maybe that this morning is your job. Maybe that this morning is your church. Maybe that this morning is retirement portfolio. Maybe that's your social standing or science and medicine or spouse or health. But there is one this morning who will never let you down. So who or what are you giving your deepest love and your deepest loyalty to?